Rocks MTG podcast back after a bit of a hiatus, but we this week we have a full house for the first time in ages. Um, and where else to start but our man Savesh? I mean, last time we spoke to him, he was a young single bloke, full of life, full of free time, and uh, now things have changed a little bit, haven't they, Savesh? They have, yeah. I am engaged to be married. Um, <laughs> If there's another way you can become engaged. Uh, so yeah, at the end of July, which is our third year anniversary, I popped the question. She said yes, reluctantly. Uh, but uh, yeah, she's decided to throw the rest of her life away and marry me at some point in the future. So that's been happening for me. Work's been a bit busy as well. But uh, yeah, no other major developments, I guess. <laughs> Congrats, man. Congrats once again. And uh, yeah, great to have you back. I, I know, especially with your line of work, it's probably been a rough time. Uh, next up, our man in San Diego. Cal, what's happening, brother? Hello, Kiran. What's happening? Playing Magic and being beaten over and over again <laughs> by the local players, like you said. So, there you go. Hope you're happy with that. <laughs> I'm, ne- I'm, never happy. I'm never happy to hear that. But at least you're playing Magic. You're getting to do something fun, uh, nonetheless. Um, and down last, but not, certainly not least, our man in Cape Town. Anthony, how are you doing, pal? Well, thanks very much for saying I'm not least. Um, I have been playing some cube drafts on Arena, the Tinkerer's Cube they've had, but I haven't really been playing that much constructive because I'm sort of just waiting for the new set to come out. I, I entered the Historic Arena Open, but with like zero preparation and went like 5-3, didn't make day two. So yeah, I have, I've mostly been just doing the kind of cube format on Arena. Okay, well... Sometimes it is nice to just take a step back and uh, have a bit of fun. And there's nothing, certainly nothing wrong with a little bit of cube action. Um, okay, so we've, I guess it's been a bit of a lull, as you say, um, especially with the new set, uh, Innistrad Mid- Midnight Haunt, um, coming out shortly. So that a lot of the formats are in a little bit of limbo. And we've, we're figuring out what to discuss. And I guess that's part of why we've taken a bit of a break of, of late. Um, in the meantime, I decided to go and play my first paper tournament in about 18 months. And something kind of bizarre happened uh, out of that tournament, or, or nothing nothing of consequence anyway during the event. But my opponent, who happens to be a friend of mine, uh, Tiens, uh, we played on camera and a small incident was picked up. And to me, as a Magic player who's played, you know, sort of competitively and casually for 20 years and been a judge for numerous years. Uh, at best, I thought the incident was probably worthy of a warning. Um, but subsequently, uh, be that as it may, the head judge who looked reviewed the incident made a recommendation. Uh, and again, I want to be uh, kind of respectful here because I know it's difficult to be a judge. I know it's not easy. But I feel like they... They might have had some biases towards Tiens because it's known information. Tiens was banned many years ago. Um, we're talking, geez, Imuzawa's Jite days. So that's a very long time ago. Um, so he's made some mistakes in the past. And he'll be, you know, he'll be the first to admit that. And I feel like there's a little bit of a witch hunt element here because he's got he's been brandished as this as this cheater, if you will. And what it got me thinking of is that I think. A player like him, especially people who've played 20 years ago, they straddle a very fine line because Magic 
then versus now is a different place. IPG and implementation of IPG, the way judges view things, has generally changed for the better. So in 20 years ago, 15 years ago, you'd get game lost for, I don't know, not smiling properly or the judge not liking your haircut. That's how bad it used to be. I mean, I'm being a little facetious here, but it, it was really bad. You know, I, rem I remember getting a double game loss for two different deckless errors. Like, seriously, I didn't get to play a game once because double game loss, you wrote COP and then game loss again because you wrote something, you know, incorrect. That's, that's how bad it used to be. And judges were quite hectic. So they recognize that the program you know, that's not what it's meant to be. We're here to have fun and we need to make sure that the game is played in a certain spirit and everyone enjoys themselves. So things have changed over the years. And I think that this guy tries to, you know, let's say be a bit of an angle shooter. And, and so maybe so a bit of clarity. What is angle shooting? Because you may, if you've been around magic, you've probably heard it. If you've been around poker, you've definitely heard it because... It, that's where it originate, the term originates from. And angle shooting typically refers to, in, in magic, refers to something that is within the, technically within the rules of the game, but may not be viewed as within the spirit of the game. So with that in mind, this is our topic for today. And it's sort of inspired that the topic of angle shooting, what is it? Um, is it something that's okay? And I thought this would be a cool example to you know fill in give us give our listeners some cool stuff to consider uh going forward so i want to start with um anthony because anthony's the one who discovered this cool tweet that had sparked a lot of debate uh internally so we're going to start with uh anthony and saffron olive example and maybe you can just tell the listeners what's going on here in this particular yeah. tweet yeah. I, I mean I, before i describe it, i also just want to say for the record for people listening <laughs> Uh, I'm not friends with Tian Lacron, and I actually have a different view on the, the Tian situation. Um, I think he is someone who pushes his luck too much um, to the point of being unethical. And what we're going to discuss, I mean, that's what we're going to discuss in the podcast tonight, what we think is ethical and isn't ethical. But yeah, to, to, to describe the Saffron Olive example, um, he's playing on MTG Arena, and he is pretty much dead on board if his opponent tacks all out, except that he's got to settle the wreckage in his hand. And he decides to emote good game to imply to his opponent that he has nothing. As a result, his opponent does do the all-out attack. He costs the settle the wreckage, and his opponent gets punished for it. And so the question is, what are the ethics of pretending you have nothing to bait them into a dangerous play? Um, so... It is an interesting one. Um, it's funny because for me personally, I'm generally on the side of emotes in arena or all fair game. Use whatever you want. Your opponent can just mute you. Um, it's not like tabletop where there's no way to ignore the person's communications. Um, you can actually just mute them and not deal with that at all. And so that almost makes me inclined to just treat it as part of the game, do whatever you want. But I also see why some people have a kind of response of a gut reaction of that's really gross. Um, it was very manipulative what you did there. Well, what do you think, Karan? <laughs> so I'm I'm on the complete other other end of the spectrum um, to you because I, I so to me I look at something like arena play as the most casual you know if you're just playing a game on the ladder to me it's an F and M type uh, equivalent so really casual um, really casual magic really friendly. 
And to me, the good game is not just a tool. To me, good game means congratulations, you've won. That was a good game. It's equivalent of extending the hand in, in paper magic. Um, so as a result, I feel that, you know, by you saying good game, whether it's on arena or in paper, that that's the game's over. That's a handshake. We're done. We're done. I've, I've, I've accepted that I've lost the game. And then for you to turn around then and like be on stream and go, ha, 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 look how, look how great I am. I'm casting Settle the Wreckage. I think it's the biggest level of unethical. It's as unethical as it gets. I honestly find it completely unacceptable because like for every Anthony who or me who might just be like, oh, whatever, it's an FNM game. No one cares. There's going to be a person or a subset of players who actually just takes that so badly and gets so upset and might never play the game again. Um, so that's kind of my reaction. And I think it's a, it's a it, I don't know, I found it to be really offensive and, and off-putting that someone would do that and then have a good laugh about it on his stream as well. I don't know the guy. Maybe he's a nice guy. But morally, we're aligned on this issue, uh, not aligned on this issue. So I, I don't know, um, Savesh, uh, uh, what's your take on this and where you fall on the spectrum? Uh, okay, so I saw the tweet last week or the week before, whenever it happened, and I thought it was quite funny, actually. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's a cool little clip, little sound bites. You know, you know, GG, all out attack. You know, cast my settle. Everyone's had their laughs. You know, at the end of the day. But um, I think the thing that's important about it is that Saffron Olive actually turned around himself and was like, "Hey, look, people have called me out on this," and then he opened it up to the community and was like, "You know, is this actually scummy behavior or not?" So I think he recognizes that it might not have been quite as above board as he initially thought it would be or you know as as funny as he thought it would be um but there i mean you mentioned arena you know from your perspective is is very casual play i think i i share that view as well but if this were to happen on magic online for instance i mean you could have this event or the situation coming up uh, there as well i mean there is a chat function you know you could easily type you know in the g uh, you know in the chat gg you know when the opponent is in the beginning of combat step or in their main phase or even on your turn as, as you pass back to them. Um, obviously, they also have the option of ignoring chats. They have the option of turning it off. Um, so I don't think it's completely unique to Arena. And typically, the, the types of games that you'd encounter on Magic Online are usually for some higher stakes. But does that change the situation? I mean, if the stakes are a bit higher, you know, depending on what's on the line, does that really allow you to be a bit more flexible in your morals? You know, it's not something that I would necessarily do. Um, like you said, in paper, if you extend your hand, that's considered to be the end of the game. You wouldn't shake someone's hand, say GG, and then just sit there and wait for them to attack. You know, it's, it's kind of a weird situation. It's something that can definitely only arise on an online platform. Um, and I don't know if you should perhaps just look at Magic Online, Magic Arena versus Paper Magic as completely separate games with their own sets of... Uh, you know, ethics and different codes of conduct that you should adhere to. Um, if this is all part of the online environment and something that people should be aware of and something that we should allow to happen, uh, or if it's something that you should try and try and avoid at all uh, or as as much as possible, just as you would in, in a paper environment. Um, I don't know if it's the best time to bring it up, but a similar situation, which is kind of different in its own right, but um, speaks to the whole, you know, what's on the line kind of thing is in one of the recent mythic championships where louis scott vargas did a similar thing i think it was in the top eight um is it you said jeremy Dizani, i think was the, his opponent and i can't remember exactly what game of the match this was in but um you know his opponent has lethal on the board and is about to make an all-out attack and louis has you know obviously a certain number of blockers in play 
he has an Odonto uh, first fort that can you know tap to make a one-one vampire with lifelink that he could potentially use to block. Uh, so it's not a very clear-cut all-out attack, um, and his opponent's still weighing up the the pros and cons of attacking and doing combat math. And you can see he's actually tapping creatures, lining up potential blocks. And LSV goes to pick up a uh, a vampire token, implying that he will tap his Adonto, make a token, and then you know block uh, as he as he should do. And his opponent sees this, thinks that okay, fine, um, you know it's probably safe for me to make an all-out attack because he probably doesn't have a settle the wreckage in his hand, which he of course does. So his opponent attacks. LSB obviously doesn't make a token. He taps four mana, plays settle, um, and you know obviously wins that exchange. I'm not sure what the outcome of that game was. I'm not sure. I think obviously LSB won the match because he went on to the finals. Uh, but um, you know he, it's a very similar he, situation. But obviously, yep. Sorry, he, sorry, he, he won the game. Um, interestingly, a lot of people say he would have won the game even without that. Um, but but it's it's still an interesting scenario to think to talk about. You know. Because it yeah, is no, very similar, yeah. except for the context being different. It's it's pretty much the same, I, exact I, same kind of yeah. move. I don't think the outcome actually makes a difference. You know, whether you want to lost the game based on that, it should be completely irrelevant. Um, interestingly, Saffron Olive actually lost the game on like the next turn or two. I think his opponent just played another creature and killed him because he was on like one or two life. Uh, but the difference between the two scenarios is that one is for hundreds of thousands of dollars, or you know, several tens of thousands of dollars. You know, at the pro level. At the highest, you know, pinnacle of, of competitive play, and the one is an arena ladder game, you know. So, does that change the sort of lens that you look at the situation through? I'm not entirely sure. We can probably discuss that a bit, but, um, you know, but the thing is, though, LSV didn't necessarily imply that the game was over by saying "good game" or extending a hand. He made a bluff, and I think that's what the difference here is. You know, being ident able to identify a situation where you can bend the rules to work in your favor um, and still be sort of sportsmanlike in that regard, which is, I think, what LSV was seen to be doing, where he was just making a bluff. He was a pro. It's natural to do that at that kind of level, um, whereas Saffron Olive was seen as, as sort of more on the angle-choosing side of the spectrum. And I think the lines are definitely very blurred between those two things, um, especially when it comes to, okay, maybe not as blurred between angle shooting and cheating because one is within the confines of the rules and one is not. But, um, you know, it's, it's a definitely a very difficult situation to navigate. Yeah. But, uh, Karan, for, for you, these examples are very different, right? Is that right? Yeah, fundamentally different because, uh, you know, there's, there's a certain set when you're dealing at professional play and you're the pro tour in this case. Um, with two of the best players in the world who understand, who have intimate understanding of all things magic, including the rules, and where bluffing is, and, and to an extent, this is maybe not even angle shooting. It's it's a it's a bluff, really. Uh, in the LSV example, it's accepted. It's part of the game. On the other hand, at an FNM level, it's FNM. You know, whether it's arena, or whatever, it's FNM. It's casual play. It's meant to be a fun, chilled environment. So it's very different. It's not the same uh, rules enforcement level, completely different um, as far as I'm concerned. What's your take on this, Cal? So for me, I think it all comes down to intent, right? So was Saffron Olive trying to get away with something here? Were they trying to one-up their opponent and, um, you know, like get them? And I think very clearly here the answer is no based on the, his reaction, right? He's just having fun. And then he also had that almost instantaneous regret for having done what he did. 
not having looked back on it. So yeah, I don't think he's trying to like scum new players in this case. It's just the way things turned out. And yeah, unfortunate in some sense and in another sense, no, because you know, there's a, like Savesh mentioned that sound bite and it did stand out and it did spark interest. And yeah, I guess now we're in a position where we can analyze it and figure out uh, how we should behave going forward and what is and isn't acceptable. I mean, I, one thing I just want to point out, Karan, is that I think there is a disanalogy between GG emotes in arena and extending the hand in, in real life. And I think partly because you don't play a lot of arena, this is like a something you might not appreciate, but the emotes in arena, whether it's GG or any of the other ones, people use them all the time, just like playfully to troll each other, to mess around with it. So if you're playing on arena, people are going to GG you all the time, sometimes just because you made a good play, sometimes because you made a bad play, they'll GG you just to you know, kind of tease you that you made a bad play. So it's definitely not the norm on Arena that people only say GG when when they're admitting defeats. That's definitely not the norm. Yeah, and, and, and maybe that's something that I uh, don't understand. Maybe I'm just a gr- the grumpy old man screaming, get off my lawn. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, the, the world that I come from, you know, good game or extending the hand or whatever it is, whether it's Magic Online in my case or, or in paper, me indicates, well, good game. That's it. You've won or game's over, you know. So, yeah, maybe that's a disconnect uh, on my part and something that uh, why I have such a strong response to this particular incident, but I guess there's a there's a balance of views here overall, and and I guess to to I think uh, Sal's point, um, he uh, Saffron Olive did uh, sort of I guess apologize, and uh, after seeing the reaction from the community, so when I'm not alone in thinking that that's you know not a cool thing to do in a sort of friendly environment, um, I think enough of that one. As cool as it was, the next example. Um, is something unfortunately we none of us can remember the the players involved, but I do remember watching it live on coverage many years ago, and you know grainy coverage as it was, and it was I believe it was standard, and it was uh, involved a range of years, and you know the the package was to get a random one drop plus um, bushwhacker goblin bushwhacker, get give my entire team haste and you know attack, and that was the cool thing to do. And it was it was one of the side post board games, and I believe it was a top eight, and I feel like it was Worlds, but I could be wrong. Anyway, the Goblin Bushwhacker, the Range of Eos opponent, uh, uh, guy drew Range of Eos, and he flashed the Range of Eos to his opponent, you know, indicating, well, I'm just going to fetch two one ones, one of them being a Goblin Bushwhacker, kick the Bushwhacker, give my team haste, and you know that's enough for lethal. You're going to die. And his opponent, you know, promptly conceded. Um, meanwhile, uh, Goblin Bushwhacker guy side took the Goblin Bushwhacker out of his deck, so he couldn't actually do that. He didn't have the card in anymore to do take the action. Opponent didn't ask for it, and you know, promptly conceded. Uh, Kel, what's your take on this incident, and and you know, where does it fall on the spectrum? So I think this is a perfect example of where Magic players' mentality used to be say, 15, 20 years ago. So something like this, instead of being looked at as morally wrong or a violation of ethics, would be like a flex. You would go after the match and like rub it in your opponent's face and tell them how bad they were and then go to your buddies and you know 
tell all of them about it and yeah it would be this whole big thing right and you'd be the great player and they'd be the scrub so i mean i can think of another example it's almost exactly analogous to this and that was when there was the standard dragonstorm deck which was basically just a pile of rituals and then your dragonstorm and get uh, either four Bogarden Hellkites, or if you had drawn one of those, like a Hunted Dragon or something, and get the 20 points on the mm-hmm. spot. And then in certain matchups where, you know, you'd need counter magic or disruption or more resiliency, you'd have to side up a certain number of cards, and then it would be very tricky with trimming rituals and then, you know, to getting away from your plan A. And uh, yeah, I remember we had a local player who... I'm close with, I won't mention their name, they um, had a couple times where they side out all their dragons and be like, okay, dragon storm for five, should we play this out? Or and then their opponent would concede. So uh, in terms of the actual Goblin Bushmarker situation, I don't have any comment. But yeah, that's just my take on the matter as a whole. So you know what's interesting is, a sort of parallel thought process I have is that, you know, 20 years ago, another thing that was really normalized is experienced players ripping off new players in trades, right? And I exp- I was very much on the receiving end of that as a kid when I started playing Magic. You know, even my, my own brother, like, offered me 10 comments <laughs> for a rare, and I thought, wow, I'm so lucky, 10 for one. Um, and, and it's interesting to me because, like, the what part of the parallel is the power dynamic. I think it was just... It was just accepted as normal back then that if you understood more, it was okay to take advantage of the fact that you understand more. It was okay to exploit that knowledge gap. Um, and I think today, certainly when it comes to trading, we we all kind of frown upon people look going after new players and ripping them off, right? And so the question mm. is, well, well, shouldn't we be frowning upon the same kind of thing when it happens inside again? Um, when there is that power dynamic that you're abusing, when you when you're you know, talking your way into a, a positive outcome that you you wouldn't really get if the person understood what you understood. Well, I mean, isn't that part of the game, right? So, I mean, talking about ripping someone off in terms of trade value, yeah, you're sort of disenfranchising them the same way you are, whether you, like, exploit your knowledge of the rules in a particular game situation. But, like, if you do that within a game, it's within a particular defined rule set. And if you do it in the, like, free market, you know, there's other criminal activity that you might be liable to as well, depending on the extent, you know, if someone wants to pursue it, you know, in that regard. So I think they're not quite analogous, but I I do see where you're getting at is that, you know, we feel that we uh, are in a particular position of power if we've been playing the game for a very long time when faced with a a new opponent. But Magic is, is, is a skilled game. You know, you wouldn't be playing this if... You weren't able to leverage your skill to some extent um, in particular situations, and you wouldn't necessarily be as successful as you have been, or you know, um, certain players might not be as successful as they as they have been if they weren't able to leverage a particular skill gap um, in a particular situation. So, by virtue of just playing the game longer and knowing more about the game and being more familiar with the rules, shouldn't you be able to use that to your advantage in a particular game situation? So, in this instance, is it skillful of me to? ask my opponent if they want to keep playing when I've cited my win condition out or how, what is yeah. that? How do we define yeah, you that? See, the, see, like you said earlier, it comes down to intent, right? So if they intentionally cited out their, all their forgotten hell kites and their hunter dragons, cast the dragon storm knowingly, um, you know, knowing that they didn't have any of these dragons in their deck and then prompted their opponent to potentially concede on the spot. I think that's, that's potentially crossing a line. But there's another situation that, that has come to mind is that of LSV 
he seems to come up a lot in these kinds of discussions. So maybe we should look into his pro career with a bit more scrutiny. <laughs> but but uh, he tells a story of a local vintage tournament several years ago. Uh, this is like probably 10 years ago or so, where he was playing Storm. And in the first two rounds of the tournament, he uh, several times cast a Burning Wish with multiple like black mana floating Storm of at least 10, intending to get a Tendrils of Agony out of his sideboard. Uh, and his opponents, having played against him before, they knew him in the sort of, uh, you know, community, were like, oh, he's going to get a Tendrils, obviously, you know, we'll concede, you don't want to, you know, have to get him, you know, save him the trouble of getting a card out of his sideboard and then having to shuffle it back in or separate it again. So they just conceded on the spot. It turns out that he had a 14-card sideboard and he didn't have a Tendrils in his deck, or in his sideboard, which he only realized mm -hmm. after the first two rounds. So now, initially, that that wasn't any necessarily any foul on his part right he didn't intend to deceive anyone or you know uh, subvert anyone by by casting the burning wish but after round two he knows he doesn't have a tendrils yet he still casts the burning wish but in this situation as he tells it he doesn't tell people he's getting a tendrils obviously he can't because then that's cheating knowing you don't have a card and telling them you're going to fit that specific card but he says burning wish i've got black mana floating i've got storm of x and his opponents concede without being prompted I think that's a different situation to the Dragonstorm situation, kind of, right? But again, it's a very, very narrow line to walk. If he had gone Burning Wish for 10 rolls, are you going to concede without going further? I think that's a bit of a bit of a dodgy situation. As it stands, he didn't technically do anything wrong. Um, he ended up getting into the top eight and splitting the top four of the tournament and then revealing it afterwards, you know. So again, like you mentioned, in sort of a gloating way, you know, haha, this is what I got away with. Um, you know, this is a funny story to tell. Um, but I guess obviously not taking into account the effects that would have had on the people that he left, I suppose, if you want to put it that way along the way. So I don't know, Kiran, what do you think? Um, so I you know, I think the situations are identical, the Dragonstorm and the uh Burning Wish LSB example. And to be honest, I see nothing wrong with either of them. I think it's genius. Um, I think it's absolutely genius and, and, and something that, uh, yeah, I, I approve. I, I approve this line of play. I think it's wonderful. And, and that's why, like, you know, these kind of things, and that's why, you know, if you don't know what, how your opponent's going to kill you, and even if you know their, um, uh, what their deck does, you need, to, uh, you need to ask them, show me. And, and, and it's become, and I guess maybe because of incidents like this over the years, maybe that's where I think a lot of people have changed their approach and me included where, you know, years gone by, I'd just be like, oh, okay, cool. I guess Dragonstorm, I'm dead. But, you know, subsequent, in subsequent years, it's become the norm to say, okay, I'm not stupid. I know how your deck works, but show me. Because as Kel says, maybe they need to trim down copies or funny things that happen post-board and it could change things. So, yeah, to me, I think both examples are genius. And yeah, I mean, like, of course, it would be LSP to win with, like, not not having the card. I mean, it's so funny. It's so funny to top an event and not a single person. And it's probably, it's probably also has to do with, in that instance, his reputation, right? Because 10 years ago, I think, would be around the time where he, he started, you know, GP, I think uh, Proto Berlin was like in 09, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that's he, won a, he, he won a PT already, yeah. Yeah, so he was already a proto champion. So people are like, oh, yeah, obviously it's LSV. Uh, you know, he's got it cool, you know. So um, I, I think uh, Anthony's got a similar example about a player, a, a, a top pro, and perhaps their reputation uh, playing a part yeah. in, in, in something. Yeah, I mean, just this is one. 
Sorry, sorry, can I just sneak something in here? Uh, so in that situation, he did actually have an alternative win con. He had a Dark Seal Colossus that he could tinker for. So he did end up killing a couple of people. I think once you realize he didn't have the tendrils, he was like, okay, I should probably kill them some other way occasionally, just so they don't get too suspicious and no one asks to see the tendrils. Um, so that, yeah, he did have something else to do, at least, unlike <laughs> the Dragonstorm guy. <laughs> yeah, so the, the question I was thinking of and what I was saying earlier about power dynamic is, is sort of like, you know, does it change the situation depending on who it is? If I'm at a random FNM, and my opponent just does this thing, then maybe I ask them to play it out. But if I'm playing against Quran, you know, then I assume Quran knows what he's doing, and and when he when he like um, implies to me the game is over, I just respect that kind of thing. Um, and the example that I experienced personally was with Owen Turtonworld, who has since been kind of you know <laughs> sort of kicked out of the magic scene for for his treatment of women. But this was before then. I went to my first pro tour in 2015. Um, unfortunately for me, it was modern, which is not a format I enjoyed. This is the story of how I became a Burgles player because I had to play a modern <laughs> tournament and I didn't know modern, you know? Um, and so I'm playing Burgles and his own certain world is playing Infect because the whole CFB team was Infect that year. And I had already won against uh, Yui actually on the same deck. And so I was quite confident in the matchup. And there were certain things I sort of understood to mean I definitely win. Uh, one of them being when I have a spell skite on the board. Because it's really hard for Infect to beat Burgles through a spell skite. They don't really have a way to deal with it. Even if they play their own spell skite, you're gaining life and you can just keep paying more than they can. Um, and what happened in this particular game is I got the spell skite down quite early on. He happened to have a spell skite too, but I removed it. But that's sort of beside the point. But then from the point where I, I had him kind of locked with my spell skite, every time I cast an aura on, on my spell skite, um, he would respond by sort of gesturing to wait because he's trying to make a decision and thinking about it. And then he'd be like, okay, fine, resolves. So this is step one. He, he implies to me he's got something. Now I know because of the deck he's playing, the card that he's implying he has is Vines of Vastwood, right? That's a card that was played in Infect. I don't know if it still is now, but it's a card that, that protects and it, and it works in such a way that it's not exactly the same as Hexproof. Um, because what it says is that um, you you cast it on a creature and then that creature's opponents can't target it for that turn, right? And so if if he had put a vines on my on on my spell skites, um, the question in my head is, well, what is what does that do? Um, does that does that stop me from targeting it? Um, how does it interact? But but the point is, he's planted the seed in my head. He's got this vines. And, and then for three or four turns, I was dumping my auras. I was attacking. I got him down to about three or four life. And every single time I played a spell, he would pause and he'd say, okay, fine, it resolves. Um, then on the final turn before I'm about to kill him, he he starts the turn by casting the Vines of Vastwood on his own Blighted Agent. And I remember, I mean, what's interesting is I had even called the judge previously. In the previous turn, I'd called the judge and I'd said, is there something funny I don't understand? If he casts the vines on my creature, is it gonna is it gonna drop off the auras or something? Does it work like protection? I mean, that's a, obviously that's a that's a silly idea, but I'm sitting there thinking this guy knows what he's doing. He's representing something. I'm trying to figure out what he's representing. So eventually, he casts the vines on his blighted agent, and I sit there with my mouth open, going, "What is this dude? Oh, hang on. Does this mean now that when he casts pump spells on it, I'm not gonna be able to redirect to my spell skites?" And, and so I, I sort of said to him, I was like, wow, that's amazing. 
And as I said that, he reveals his hand, shows his pump spells, and I concede. Now, I don't know how easily you guys can follow this because Vines of Oswood is a very complicated card. It doesn't work the exact same as Hexproof or Shroud. But actually, that play doesn't do anything, right? Because putting the Vines on his creature doesn't stop me from redirecting his spells to my spell scouts, hmm. right? Yeah. It, it doesn't actually do that at all. But in the moment, there's sort of this like this three stage. First, he first he plants the idea that he has a card. Um, he plants the idea that it can do something. He he builds it up over time, and then eventually, when when I take the bait, when I'm like, oh, I see this does something, he instantly reveals his hand to get the concede, so that there's no time for me to you know think it through or call the judge and ask a different question about how the interactions work. Um, I, I was so, you know, I, at that point, he was considered the best player in the world. I was hugely in awe of him. And I was so in awe of him that I didn't even realize on my own that I'd been bluffed. I had to go and talk to a friend, tell them what happened. And they were like, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. Um, <laughs> and I eventually went and found him later in the tournament and confronted him and said, wow, you, you really bluffed me out of that game. And he said to me with a straight face, he said, well, you know, it's it's... It's part of the game, knowing how all the interactions work. And I knew how that interaction worked and you didn't. And I used it to my advantage because within the actual, you know, winning the game sort of fair and square, he had no chance to win. So he had to come mm. up with this, this clever idea to like, to, to sell me a story that would get me to accept um, that I would have to concede at some point. Um, and it's really interesting because for quite some time, I thought that's just genius. And I wasn't really upset. And I remember my friends being really upset. But I wasn't. And I, more recently, and maybe this is because of the political moment we're in in the last few years, I've been thinking more and more about the power dynamic. About does that situation go down the way it did if I'm playing against random Stranger X? I don't think so. I think Owen Turtle World being Owen Turtle World, being considered the best player in the world, being not a particularly friendly player, being very imposing and intimidating... I think there's a lot of steps along the way where I'm accepting that what he's doing must have some internal logic because he's him. And I think he knows that. And I think he's leveraging it. I, th I think he's intentionally leveraging that I would give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not doing something irrational, that, he, that, he's, that there's real meaning to what he's doing. And that's where, it, it, you know, nowadays I, f I feel quite conflicted about that. Um, on the one hand, yes, you are still taking actions within the rules. But on the other hand, there is something to me that seems unethical about, about deliberately exploiting a power dynamic. Um, and that is what I feel he did to me. But I'm very curious to hear what you guys think about the situation. Um, I'm not that emotional about it. It's been six years. So if you think I just, I'm just a noob, then you can tell me that. <laughs> My takeaway from all of this is basically Owen Turtenwald is Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> it was a re it was a really good act he put on honestly it was it was incredible like like he committed to it over multiple turns selling me this like one coherent story that wasn't actually the truth yeah he seduced you i mean he took you by the hand <laughs> led you down a particular path you know wind and dined you and then just you know pulled the rug out from you at the end of the night uh but yeah, I mean, that, look, it's a bluff, definitely. It's a fantastic bluff, you know, being able to get inside someone's head like that and being able to sell them a particular narrative about what you have in your hand, what you could potentially do. 
again, Vines works in a very difficult way. It's not intuitive at all. Like you said, it's not shroud, it's not hexproof. It prevents anything that's targeted from being, uh, you know, targeted by your opponents. Um, so, you know, whether it's their creatures, your creatures, it's it's very strange. And I can understand how someone could get caught up, you know, especially in such a high stakes, high pressure environment. But I think him bluffing, him revealing his hand is one aspect of it. But then, you know, it sounds like he almost pressured you to concede. In a, you know, was that what I'm taking? Is that correct? You know, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm I mean, interpreting I the situation up. correctly, you know. I wouldn't say pressure me to succeed. I think the hand reveal is to is to reduce the chance that I spend more time thinking about it. I think that's why he's done the yeah. hand reveal. Yeah, it's yeah. like because a situation where he's going, do you really want me to go through the motions? I'm Owen Turtenwald. Who are you? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly, exactly. If he doesn't reveal his hand, I'm going to sit and think longer. I'm going to call the judge again and ask about how the interactions work. And, and maybe yeah. I'll ask the right question this time, you know? Um, because that's the I even asked the judges at the tournament and they were like it's not our job to tell you all the relevant interactions you have to ask us exactly the right so they knew when the first time I called the judge they figured out what was going on but mm -hmm. they considered it to not be their responsibility to explain that because I had asked a slightly different question because um, I was just you know desperately scrambling for what he's trying to do and I couldn't see it um, so well, yeah. well, the thing he was trying to do initially, it would have worked. So if you if you'd cast an aura on your spell scout and he vines your spell scout in response, the aura doesn't it falls off like it doesn't actually have yes, a legal yes. target then. So yes. I think yeah, him obviously the judges you know might not have picked up on what his ultimate goal was, but like definitely you know identified there was a particular gap he could have exploited just maybe because mine's a stupid either, card actually. and that's why they yeah yeah exactly maybe maybe he like figured it out after a couple of turns like oh maybe I can get away with something here you know. Um, and that's why we don't see cards like Vines of Vast would print it anymore, because it's just... Right, so, so that's... I mean, again, to be clear for people listening, if it's confusing, is if he Vines my spell scout in response to me targeting it, it would stop that spell resolving. But what he, what he tried to imply here was that Vinesing my um, my spell scout... Sorry, I think I've told the story wrong. He didn't Vines the Blighted Agent, he Vines my spell scout. What he tried to imply to me was that by vinesing it, it would also stop me from directing Changing his spells. targets. Yeah, right? yeah. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Cool. Which, which that part doesn't work, but it's really confusing to think about when firstly vines has a strange wording, and then secondly Spellscout is like jumping around who's targeting what. Um, yeah. And so in, in the sort of gray area of like, how does this already work? I allow myself to fill in the gaps with it's fucking Owen Tottenwood. Of, of course he knows what he's doing. <laughs> Right. That's that's basically what happened. And yeah. and I think that he did his very best to make sure that happened. You know, I think he consciously made an effort to to lead me to think like that. Um, what do you think? Karan, you haven't said yet. Yeah, I think it's genius. I think it's incredible. <laughs> I uh that's why he was the best he was the best player in the world for a period of time. you know, you find every angle Within the rules, of course, because I think he did nothing wrong. I'm 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 just in awe of the, of the genius and and as <laughs> as Kel said, the, the, you know Leonardo DiCaprio, you know who I who I'm uh, quite fond of uh, as an actor. I, I I'm just astounded at the level he went through and how smart you have to be to realize. Wait a minute, I'm not going to win this game by in any conventional manner. I need a hail mary, you know. Um, or going back to Boston legal, there was an old reference, a Denny Crane reference. He was like a rabbit <laughs> out of a hat. 
you know, you need, he pulled the rabbit out of the hat he, and he did it in a big way. And, and I, I think it's, you know, absolute genius. And it's one of, those are the kind of things that historically, I guess, those type of plays, I personally would not have been adverse to trying if, you know, I was smart enough to, to do it. Or I thought of an example and, and, and tried to execute it. So, yes, maybe, as you say, it definitely helped that he was to Owen Turtwell and he had the reputation um, to help sell it. And that, that that's part of it. And I guess that's just the benefit of tenure, right? And just being a genius or being the best at something or very good at something is that people take that into account. And yeah, there's a power dynamic, sure. But that's the pro tour, right? It's not like this guy, you're playing this guy at a random FNM and he did that to someone. Then I change, again, equating it back, going back to Saffron Olive versus LSV doing the same thing. While the actions might be the same, the stakes matter and the environment matters. So in that environment, I think it is absolute genius. So I'm sorry that it had to be against you, but yeah, I think, <laughs> no, no, no. I think it's genius. Listen, I totally see what you're saying because I really sp- I spent a long time telling my own friends who were like, what a douchebag. I was like, no ways, that's brilliant. Um, but But I do, I can't stop thinking about this power dynamic part of it now because I... I genuinely don't think an ordinary player would have been able to pull that off against me, even if they committed the exact same game actions. Mm. I, I think I would have, you know, just walked through normally and and won the game. Um, and so, I mean, there's a real question to be asked about, is that something that the game should try and account for? Should we try and um, have some mechanism to protect players against being exploited by a more experienced or more respected or accoladed players. Um, and it does bring me back to that scenario of like, well, well, how is it different to an older player ripping off a newer player in a trade? Um, because the way they're getting away with it is by leveraging the way you see them, right? That's what they're doing. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I like part of, me is, part of me is like, it's a competitive game. It's the highest level. Do everything you can to win. And there's another part of me that's saying, whether we're talking about magic or not, at any point in human interaction, I think there's something ethically dodgy about people exploiting a power dynamic. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm not sh- like I'm not even 100 sure how it all squares up ultimately, but I do think that's an aspect that matters. How, how do you address that at a, at a game level, though? I mean, how do you account for this discrepancy in morality or discrepancy in power dynamics or power level and, and avoiding that from you know, being leveraged against against newer or their skilled players? You know, uh, I, I do get where you're coming from. Definitely, it is a, a point of concern. But are we saying that angle shooting... I mean, Quran seems to imply that angle shooting is fine as long as the stakes are high enough. But at a lower level, it's not fine. But the morality sort of cuts across both of the situations. You know, oh, is it up to wizards? Is it up to the judges to determine the you know ethical, um, you know, beliefs or standpoints of the individual players? You know, is that something that we're able to to police or potentially mitigate in some way? I don't think it's useful. It's I don't know again, if it's yeah. Again, to go back to to me, it's about, and I, I think this is the way that sums it up best. In your example, uh, in Anthony's example. It was at the pro tour, pro as in professional uh, magic. And it's incumbent, you're, it's incumbent on you to know the rules and the interactions, 100%. And 
And so in that particular example, you know, I, I see nothing wrong with it. Yes. Yeah. He, he got probably got away with it because he was the, you know, the best player in the world, but he was genius enough to think of it. He led you down a path. He executed, executed it brilliantly. And it happened at the pro tour. Now, I mean, I'm probably just, I'm repeating myself here. And I think you have to distinguish pro play to FNM play. And there is a fundamental difference. And I'll, you know, I, I think it's different. Cal. Okay, so just to summarize all this, uh, FNM and casual levels of play, you know, we have a responsibility as a community to foster an environment that's going to develop our new and up-and-coming players. And then, you know, once they get to a point where they want to step up, maybe try a PTQ or whatever form of competitive uh, play we'll see this year and going forward. Okay, now maybe you've made some acquaintances and it's kind of their job or role to guide you through. Okay, you might now start seeing different means of uh, people trying to game you or different aspects of the game that you weren't previously privy to. So basically that we have a responsibility as a community to teach our players and protect them from. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say, and I think it's pretty fair to say that, that, I mean, yeah, there's one part that maybe Owen exploits it as power dynamically, but, but I was also naive, you know, and I got to take some responsibility for that. This is my first pro tour ever. And I didn't even, I didn't go into the event considering that, you know, maybe one of these hot shot pro players, will try and beat me in this kind of way. Um, I, I, I had never thought of it before, and I'm probably a better Magic player today because of it, because I will always be aware for the possibility of those kinds of moves now. Um, so there is definitely that side of things. I, I, think, uh, I, think it was a, I think it was a... Thanks for sharing that, Anthony. It was a great example. And unfortunately, I can't remember the, the, the specifics of it, but we were playing Grand Prix... Uh, I want to say Cleveland... Uh, or Columbus, it might have been one of the two. Uh, anyway, there was a team Grand Prix, and there was two teams, and I was in the first team, and there was another team of, of South Africans, and I think it happened against uh, Combrick or, or James, and he was playing against. I could be wrong, but it was, it was definitely he was playing. The person was playing against uh, Seth Manfield, and there was one of those invocations, or you know, one of those uh, reprints, you know, where they had those funny cards in the normal boosters, in the uh, boosters, and it was like a redirect effect. And there was a very similar interaction where Seth Manfield, someone cast some enchantment, enchant creature, enchant my creature, and Seth Manfield just, you know, smartly went, oh, look, here's my my, my uh, redirect effect. Meanwhile, the enchant was enchant creature you controlled. So he couldn't actually Remove move the enchantment onto his creature. He was just flashing it to indicate, you know, to try his luck to see. Well, maybe they'll just concede if they don't understand this. And 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 the player, I, I can't remember who it was. Uh, just I think they just conceded because they were like, oh well, I guess I lose to that, you know. And and again, similar sort of example. Seth's done nothing wrong. He's just gone. I'm showing you my card. I'm not saying it. I'm moving the target. I'm not doing anything. And the opponents made it, you know, uh, taken a leap there, made an inference and the wrong one and what Seth was hoping for and conceded. So pretty cool example. I wish I, I knew exactly the cards, but um, something cool. Um, I think we've covered a good few examples here. I think there's a few others that used to come up um, years gone by. Um, Sav, maybe just remind us about 
classics in days gone by, like putting needle and meddling mage and how that used to go down. All right. Yeah. So putting needle and meddling mage uh, require you to name a card as they enter the battlefield. And obviously with putting needle activated abilities of that card can't be activated unless they're mana abilities and meddling mage prevents you from casting cards with that particular name. But there was a situation that came up in, I think, 2015 or 2016, um, where there was a player, I think, at a Grand Prix. It was Bob Wang, who's a pretty well-known modern legacy player. I'm not sure if he's ever been on a regular on the pro circuit, but definitely uh, you know, um, a player of some renown. And he was playing uh, the Grishol brand modern combo deck um, at some point. So I think he won game one pretty easily on like turn two or three. And in game two or three, his opponent played a Pitting Needle and named Borbo Rigmos, right? That's all he said. Pithing Needle, Borbo Rigmos, go. I think the following turn, Bob thinks for a bit, untaps, you know, and then proceeds to either Goria's Vengeance or through the breach in a Borbo Rigmos Enraged, which is the actual name of the card that he was using in his deck, and then uses its activated ability multiple times, discarding lands to kill his opponent. And his opponent called a judge immediately and said, look, I Pithing Needled and I named the card Borbo Rigmos. Um, Turns out Bob's defense was, look, there's a card named Borborygmos. This card is called Borborygmos Enraged. They're different cards. You named the wrong card. I get to use my card. The judge ruled in his favor because technically at the time, that's what the rules allowed. He had to specifically identify a card. And if you misnamed it and the card you actually named is an existing card, unfortunately, you had to go with that, that decision because it is legal in the format that we're playing at the moment. Now, that rule's been changed a couple of times. I think the current situation is that if you name a card, for whatever reason, you've got to be able to reasonably identify the card. So if you said Pithing Needle, the Borborygmus card that's in your deck, that would be sufficient, right? You wouldn't have to spell out and get, you know, every single you know, punctuation mark correct in the name of the card. So I think that's something that luckily won't come up again uh, with Meddling Mage or Borborygmus, but it is just something to be aware of um, and something that might be exploitable in a similar kind of a situation. Jaron? Yeah, so so two things. One, to be fair to Bob, because it, it by today's standards it might come across as being you know pretty uh, unethical. But back then, that's how the judge program. That's what it allowed. That was the framework. It, it had to be very specific. Um, so that was just normal. What he did was just how we used to get away. And as I said, it was almost like you used the rules to get an advantage, almost get your opponent punished. That's what. How it used to be like years ago and everyone was the same who played competitively that's how it was um and then secondly so i don't think you even need to name the card anymore you can say that for example the black creature that costs eight or whatever it has lifelink and pay seven life draw if you describe what the card does then you don't even need to know the name if i'm not mistaken that's the last i heard so yeah it's it's quite a bit more lenient these days which for the better yeah yeah you're, you're covered yeah as long as you can identify the card with like beyond reasonable doubt i think you're you're pretty much covered but that's the thing i mean we've tried to clean up these rules over the years in an attempt to sort of uh level the playing field so to speak so that people wouldn't be able to leverage the rules or their skill in a particular way um i mean angle shooting in its historic form typically doesn't occur these days. I mean, outside of these very corner case situations with things like the Settler Wreckage or, you know, um, there are still some triggered abilities you can exploit, like with Chalice of the Void, right? And I'm not sure what the rules on handling triggered abilities are as we're recording this because they've changed a few times over the years. But um, someone has a Chalice of the Void on one counter, you purposefully cast a one CMC spell into his Chalice or his or her Chalice. And, um, you know, 
don't necessarily point out the triggerability of the chalice. And if your opponent misses it, your spell is considered to have resolved. Because as I understand it, it's not your responsibility to point out triggerabilities that are controlled by your opponent. Right? It's up to them. And the, the rules have changed a couple of times over the years. But that's still something that can be exploited to this day. It's within the rules of the game. Um, you know, that is technically angle shooting. You're trying to leverage a particular rule set in your favor knowing full well that you can't actually do this. You know, it's not actually something that's allowed given the current game state. And, you know, again, if you just simply cast a spell, wait expectantly, and your opponent says, okay, cool, it's resolved. But if you, again, it depends on your mannerisms, your intent, you know, how you go about trying to, if, if you're trying to, I don't know, uh, coerce them into forgetting a chalice trigger, trying to rush through things, that could be perceived in a particular light. Um, whereas, you know, a, a, Again, intent is one thing, and, and I think this is a different thing. You know, obviously, something that can't happen online, but definitely paper magic has its, its downfall in this regard. You know, you can you can present a particular body image or you know thought process to your, your opponents, but I guess that's part of the game. You know, you've got to read your opponent. It's it's you know you're playing the person sitting across from you. You're not just playing with game pieces. So, so what if yeah. so? So here's a question, right? Because what you're describing is kind of a scenario where you sort of just let yourself get away with something. You're not you're not doing anything to help your opponent. Um, what if we take it one step further? What about a scenario where you accidentally do break an explicit game rule? You do something you can't legally do, and then you notice it. What like how would you? Personally, I think you're you're required to say then. Actually, shit, I couldn't do that. Now, what if what about a player who 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 notices a turn later they did something illegal, but then. Their, their attitude is, well, as long as I'm doing nothing, as long as it's an omission and not an act, let's just let the, keep, the game keep going and benefiting me. Because I think a lot of players do that. I think a lot of players notice something that happened that shouldn't have happened. And instead of speaking up, they just leave it because it's to their advantage to leave it. Yeah. I think that comes down to the rule enforcement level as well, right? If you're playing at FNM with like uh, regular REL, uh, you miss something... Presumably, in the situation, your opponents also missed it, and there's, you know, the game state hasn't been maintained. Um, it depends at what point you notice that. Obviously, if your opponents missed it, if it's to your advantage, you know, that could be seen as trying to subvert the rules, and that could be seen as cheating in some way, depending on the exact situation. Um, obviously, at like a regular REL or casual REL, like a pre-release situation, no one's gonna, no one cares, to be honest. Um, but the moment you step foot into a competitive rules enforcement level environment. Um, you know, then obviously the onus is on you once you notice the submission uh, to, to speak up. And if it's revealed later on that you didn't, you know, there can be dire repercussions. I mean, obviously the game state might not be able to be rewound, but warnings will definitely be issued. You might be issued with a game loss in certain situations. So, um, but yeah, um, again, that's up to the individual, you know, whether or not they speak up at a particular point. And you just have the but, hope that you don't get discovered at some point in the future. But but morally, right, they should. That's what I'm saying. Like morally, the person no, sure, should always course, speak yeah. up. Yeah, yeah if, if it's in violation of the rules, I think you have a moral obligation to. But does that have any bearing on what you actually do in a game of Magic? I'm sure I've done some immoral things over the years playing Magic that I might not have caught at the time. You know, in hindsight, things definitely, you know, situations change. People realize different things. And, you know, I don't think I was intentionally trying to cheat or, um, you know, get away with something. Um, it might appear that way in some situation to some people. But, you know, these things are very difficult to actually actually tease out i'm not sure yeah i think you have a responsibility to speak up when you realize you've made a mistake and you know personally and i'm not going to hold everybody to the same standards 
uh, I think previously, definitely in like the 15 to 20 years ago era that we spoke about earlier, probably would have just allowed the game to go on. But, you know, as I've become older and I've learned, okay, this is a game, we need to be having fun. And at the same time, you know, you need to raise the bar and try and lead by example in some ways. You have a responsibility. You've been around long enough now. Maybe your role needs to change. Uh, I don't know that I have aspirations to be a professional player or anything. I would love to compete and I always relish the opportunity to compete against the best players in the world. But at the same time, you know, where I am locally, I want to be able to bring up young talent or just people that are new to the game. So, yeah, I hold myself to that standard and I would admit it when I've made a mistake. And, you know, in terms of what Savesh was saying and how you can have dire repercussions for not doing so at a competitive level. I don't know if you guys remember in uh, Worlds of 2018, Kenya Kuhiro ended up getting disqualified for, from a tournament where he realized that he had started a match with sideboard cards, drew the sideboard card in game one, didn't play it or mention that he did. And then in game two, he felt you know guilty and he admitted it and said, hey, you know, I thought I could get away with it, but it was wrong. And so ultimately ended up getting disqualified for that. Yeah, no, it's a good point that you mentioned. Um, the important thing to note is that in most situations, if you call out a judge on yourself for something that you notice has gone awry, they'll often look on that a lot more favorably, um, especially the situation, maybe not at the proto level, but in some situations where you there are some deck registration errors or you forgot to de-sideboard after a particular match, you know, if you notice it immediately and call them, obviously, if you continue playing, knowing this, you know, that that's a different situation. Um, but actually, there's a, a situation that I can recall recently, and it's it's not really a major offense, but there was a game, I think, at uh, Nationals in when we still did Nationals a few years ago in Cape Town, the Lakshak event. And I was playing against, I think, Stefan Roots, and uh, I was playing the like Bant taking turns Nexus of Fate deck that had just sort of popped up at the most recent Prozo. And I think on one of the turns, I cast a Nexus of Fate, or no, sorry, I cast, I activated a search for Ascanta or Ascanta the Sunken Ruin or whatever on my opponent's end step, looked at the top four cards, put a card in my hand. And because I was so used to casting Nexus of Fate at some point during the match, I just instinctively shuffled my library and then went to draw a card for my turn and carried on playing my turn. And then halfway through my turn realized, oh shit, I shuffled my deck. I shouldn't have done that. I should have just put some cards on the bottom, called a judge. Unfortunately, we were not able to like rewind the situation to a point where the game state could be repaired. Um, but I got a warning. You know, I think my opponent got a warning as well because no one actually, you know, we didn't pick it up until it was a bit too late. Um, but I mean, that is a situation that could easily come up at a much higher competitive level event. Something that you could be seen as getting away of. You know, not that it may have had a beneficial outcome to me necessarily. Um, perhaps there was a card that I knew might be near the top of my deck that I wanted to shuffle away or put a card on the bottom that I wanted to draw again at a later stage. So it could be, you know, interpreted in a, like a number of different ways. But I think, you know, the fact that I called the judge on myself before it could get to a point where it could be seen as morally reprehensible, you know, or like I was trying to get away with something or, um, you know, have, uh, construct a particular outcome, um, I think was looked upon more favorably. So definitely, you know, these things should be called out as soon as possible. If yeah. So, so the trouble sometimes is that a lot of players don't even know when they can or should call judges. And I wanted to actually point out that, I mean, we're going to get that at some point. Like, personally, this is one of the kinds of, you might call angle shooting things that, that I think Tiens does quite a lot, um, is sort of work judges. Um, because, yeah. they, because they sort of like feel like 
they have a better understanding of what they can say to the judge and what they can get the judge to do. And I had one really bad experience at my first nationals. Um, I was probably 15 or 16. I was up in Joburg. I didn't know any of the players. And a much older player asked me at the start of a match if I wanted to roll two dice to decide who wins. And I said, no, thank you. And, and then he called the judge and told the judge that I had suggested we roll dice to see who wins, which was like an incredibly slimy move. But just like, you know, asserting your authority as the older player to abuse the younger player. And luckily, in that case, the judge said what well, was my word against his. And so no one was going to have any action taken against them. But like, that's an extreme example of, of, of something that actually I think happens quite a lot, especially in the South African scene. I think you see quite a lot in our local scene, sadly, that more experienced players know how to leverage judges and less experienced players just don't. Um, and so it's another place where I feel like it sort of amplifies these power dynamics. And it's like, it's really important for judges to try and be sensitive to the fact that, I mean, it happens everywhere, right? We, you know, you'll see in soccer, people talk about referee bias for big teams and like there's, it's just a fact that judges are more familiar with the more experienced players they speak more of a similar language. Those players know how to weaponize the rules. And the less experienced players just don't. Um, and for me, that's something that I take particular issue with. When I see players trying to take advantage of greater familiarity with the judges, greater familiarity with the rules in a way that just feels abusive. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, that's that's a interesting that's an interesting point. I, I think you and I think Cal, Cal hit the nail on the head here, is like your perspective changes with time, with age, with uh, the position you are in sort of life. And uh, there's an example I wanted to bring up of, of years ago. Uh, I think it was, it was definitely 20... When was the first World Magic Cup? It was that that particular year. It's, I remember distinctly because I won the Saturday. I won the, the World Magic Cup uh, qualifier or whatever. And it was, at, it was in Pretoria. And the next day was a qualifier, a PTQ, the next day. And the same format, I just played the same deck. And it was the last round and what I thought was a win and in for top eight. And we in the deciding game. And it, to me, it looks like I'm going to lose the game. And I think that the only way to win this game or this match uh, is to be creative. And my opponent's playing a deck with battle cry. He's playing a deck with um, the double white, double white, double, two colors, three, four, uh, create two, one, one's uh, battle cry guy. Um, and basically, I, I start maybe not as good an actor as uh, as Mr. DiCaprio, uh, Turton World, but <laughs> but basically, I start you know planting the seed where I keep on counting his power, the power of creatures on the board. Um, in his turn, I count that. I go on it, and I'm like, I start working out. Oh, so you need, you need to draw this to win. You need to draw whatever the pump spell or whatever the thing that grows your team. I kept on coming up with bullshit. Uh, yeah, hero blade hold is the creature, and I kept on going on and on about him being behind, and he's going to lose. Uh, he's going to lose the game if he can't kill me this turn. And it's the last round. Obviously, I'm, I'm fairly well known in the community at that point. There's tons of people around the table. And so there's judges, the works, and, and I keep on going, oh, you're gonna, you need this, you need this. And I you know, pass my turn and I'm like very confident. And knowing all well that all he has to do is attack all, create two tokens, pump his entire team, and I'm dead. There's nothing I can do. 
And he goes to come, he thinks it, he thinks it, he thinks it, he's sweating. And again, I'm probably using my position here because I understand very well the rules. And again, he's, my opponent's relatively inexperienced compared to me. And he's under a lot of pressure, you know, for this, which might, might have, you know, would have been his first top eight or whatever. And I, you know, I'm pretty chilled. And, and so he goes, he thinks and he thinks and he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't have it. I didn't draw it. And, you know, meanwhile, I'm dead on board. All he has to do is attack. And he just keeps on going on and he's lamenting the fact that he didn't draw anything. And I'm going to crack back with my inkpot nexus uh, and he's going to die. Um, and, and, and so it turns out that he, he attacks and then he doesn't do anything. And he like, you know, extends the hand and he's like, okay, cool. You know, good game. I guess you got me kind of thing. And I win the match, right? And as it turns out, unfortunately, I finished ninth. I had everyone around the table going, like, jumping all around, like, trying to understand what went on, what I, you know, what happened. I felt, again, felt very smart. I felt like the smartest person in the room. And, you know, was, you know, with younger, I felt great. In hindsight, probably not the best thing to do. Today, I'm not sure if I would do that in the same situation for somebody like that, someone you are. If, you know, if if I was up against Cal or one of you guys and, you know, you, you guys, would, you know, didn't count, it's a different story. But I think your opponent matters. I think the situation matters and the stage of, I guess, the stage of things. And, and in hindsight, I probably have a bit of regret about doing that. Um, but, yeah, that, that was just a story I thought I'd share and, you know, something that I look at a bit differently. Can you clarify, were you counting, were you telling him how much power he had intentionally not counting the tokens that the thing would have made or what happened absolutely there? absolutely i kept on counting what he had in play right because the only way i would lose the game was by him not counting battle cry plus additional tokens that hero of bladehold would have made so you know i made him believe that he had whatever 10 power in play or 12 power opposed to 15 that he would have had with the with the triggers or whatever the case would have been um and so that's that's the story that i sold funny enough like the next day i got a phone call from the head judge because my opponent i don't know my opponent complained uh, the next day saying oh no i i, I you know I, I should have won the game because of battle cry and whatever and i explained the situation to the head judge and he he ruled in my favor he ruled you know he interviewed both of us and he ruled in my favor that you know what i did was i did nothing wrong and my opponent uh, you know uh, prematurely uh, conceded so yeah uh, uh, interesting example uh, to share. Um, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. I think we've 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 discussed a lot of things. I know there's one more, maybe one classic example and cards that still see a lot of play now in in older formats. Uh, Cal, maybe just touch on this as a as a as a closing point here for us. Um, uh, Vendillion Click and Thoughtseize, and maybe just you know enlighten our listeners as to uh, <laughs> those uh, six uh, slippery slopes, so to speak. Yeah, so obviously these cards can target any player, even though they typically target the opponent. And so there have been many examples of players tra trying to take advantage of that phrasing or not communicating clearly what their targets are. Uh, you know, in the case of Vendillion Click, you'd cast it um, and people would just drop their hands. And then, you know, you'd take two or so minutes, write down the entire hand, and be like, okay, cool, target myself, I'm going to put away this card, your turn. And in the case of Thoughtseize, I think there was a player named Dan Ward, very like a mm. built big American Magic player. He got called out at one tournament where he Thoughtseize someone, uh, 
oh, cast Saltsies, and then they showed their hand, and he said, oh, yeah, I'm targeting myself. And then he ended up getting banned maybe the next premiere event for doing a, a similar thing with Meddling Mage. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so in terms of morality, do we have a responsibility to be clear with uh, the targets of our cards, even though they have implied targets? I could tell you guys personally that in the last probably 10 modern events I've played, every time I've been thought seized or inquisitioned, I've had to ask my opponent, who are you targeting? Do I, is that my responsibility as the opponent of the person casting the spell? What do you guys think? No, I mean, I think it's within the rules. <laughs> sorry, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, within the rules, I mean, when casting a spell, you do have to announce targets as it's put onto the stack, right? So you can't just put a card on the table, leave it hovering in limbo, and expect your opponent to react in a certain way. So I think you, the onus is definitely on the caster of the spell to announce the targets. I mean, if you go Thoughtseize before you have a chance to actually say anything further, your opponent like reveals their hand to you. I mean, you're going to take the free information. Uh, similar with Vendillion Click, I mean, it's a triggered ability that goes on the stack, but you still have to target a particular player, right? So obviously this is this comes down to experience, right? If someone puts a Thoughtseize on the table, like you just said, no, I'm not going to show them my hand until they explicitly say that they're Thoughtseizing me. When I cast a Thoughtseize, I say, I'm Thoughtseizing you. I don't just say Thoughtseize, um, just because I know that this is a potential interaction that can come up. So again, it just comes down to knowledge of the rules and your ability to, um, or your experience, I suppose, and your ability to exploit them in a particular way. Is it scummy of me if I put Thoughtseize on the table, wait for a few seconds, my opponent reveals their hand, you know, as it's got an implied target? I take that information and then I proceed to maybe Thoughtseize myself instead and put a reanimation target in the graveyard. Yeah, I think that that definitely is something that's borderline unethical. Um, or maybe just entirely unethical. But um, again, it comes down to the exact situation. As a blanket thing, I think it's a problem, um, obviously. But if you, again, it depends on obviously intent, your mannerisms, how you goad your opponent into doing or believing a particular thing. Um, so, so, yeah. One interesting broader question we haven't really touched on today, but I think a lot of the things we've discussed go to this is, what do we envision the role of communication being in magic? Because a lot of the stuff we discussed would never be possible on Arena or on Magic Online because you're, you're taking advantage of implying something through communication or lack of communication or verbal cues. And it's interesting to me because I'm someone who I really like trash talk. I really like, you know, just bantering with my opponent when I play Magic in person. But at the same time, I'm also someone who especially after a few years of playing mostly arena. My, my inclination now is if I, if I couldn't do it in arena, then maybe it's a bit dodgy that I'm trying to do it in person. Um, maybe the fact that we communicate in paper magic is just because we're forced to, because the rules don't enforce themselves, but the communication is not supposed to be there to manipulate. It's supposed to be there just to make the game work, you know? Um, so I'm not sure what you guys think. Do you think the communication is just to make the game work or, you know, is everything fair game because there's talking, do whatever you want with your talking? I think we're trending in a direction where um, judges are trying to create an understanding that players need to be clear in their communication. Um, so the last... Uh, competitive rules enforcement 
event that I played, I think it was last weekend, before the event even began, the judges said explicitly, be very clear with what you're trying to do, what your cards do, what you're targeting, and you're responsible for your triggers. Don't expect your opponent to remind you of what your cards do. So I think that everybody has a responsibility to be clear with their intentions, their actions, and what their cards do. Uh, I think that what you mentioned, Anthony, is a very good rule of thumb. Uh, if you find yourself in a situation where you're unsure if you should or should not do something or if something is, is acceptable or not, uh, yeah, think about could I get away with this on Arena? And then if... Um, omitting information um, is a way for you to gain an edge. Think about, hey, would a arena allow me to omit this information, right? I think, I think that it's interesting, and I, and I kind of disagree with you guys on that because uh, communication is part of magic. Um, it's an important part of magic. And, and ultimately, you're playing a game, whether it's at a professional level or at a sort of FNM level, you're playing a game and interaction is part of it. It's part of your experience. Um, I view, and again, I guess I'm sounding like a stuck record here, and again, I'm, I'm, I view competitive, uh, competitive rule enforcement events to FNM very differently. And I think in a Comprel event, gamesmanship is part of it. And if keeping quiet and not saying a single word to your opponent is something that you think is going to ruffle your opponent, because I've done that before many times, and it, some people get so uncomfortable, or you don't stop talking that you put your opponent off guard. Again, a tactic that I've employed in the past. And, and famously, uh, Yusuf, we, you know, the GP Prague winner from a few years ago we had on the podcast, he told us the story about how he just, and Yusuf's a chatty Cathy at the best of times, and he just didn't stop talking in the top eight. And, you know, he, he, it, PV, it ruffled PV a little bit because it was late. And, you know, PV, the best player in the world, still sort of, I don't know, you know, perhaps was not on top of his game because he started engaging in banter with Yusuf. And you can't do that because Yusuf's a bloody master at it. And, and you know, perhaps uh, contributed to PV losing that the finals to Yusuf. So I think it's a tool at your disposal. And, you know, in Comprel, those kind of things are fair game. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, though, if we compare what you just said to where we started tonight with the emoting good game in Arena, because to me, it's I actually view those things as quite similar, like um, using the emotes in Arena to just troll your opponents and put them off edge and smack talking them in, in Paper Magic just to kind of put them off edge. I do do both of those things where, where I am sort of intuitively drawing the line is I will I will say things to you to try and like throw you off a bit, but I don't want to say things to you to lead you to believe wrong things about the game. That that then, because those things I wouldn't be able to do in the automated versions, and those things feel like it's not the... I'm, I'm not getting at you psychologically. I'm trying to abuse some kind of uh, asymmetry in our knowledge or um, in our position. So so I, I'm, I'm like half with you and half not with you. Like I, I'm, I'm not about to stop bantering people at events. But my banter's just like, hey man, you suck. I'm gonna own you. You know, it's it's not <laughs> it's, it's it's not trying to convince them of of like fictions about the game. Like th that's where I start to feel uneasy. Sure. Look, I think at uh, end of the day, this is a a very uh, difficult topic, and it's something clearly even amongst us we have very different interpretations. 
understandings of it. And I guess the important thing to take out of it is that there's no right answer. Like many things in life, there's a sort of, it depends and, you know, lines can be blurred, but, you know, I think it's incumbent on all of us to try uh, where best as possible to act with a bit of integrity, particularly, again, I will state this, at an FNM, our responsibility is to create a good environment. And I, I want to end I want to end with a couple of tales. So one tale, uh, one of my best friends, in fact, and, 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 you know, played Magic for years. He qualified for the Worlds at the time. It wasn't the World Magic Cup, it was still Worlds. And he had an incident with... Um, Within a, with uh, Ali Andrazi, I'm not sure if I'm butchering his name, but they were playing a match. And uh, he, uh, this Ali Andrazi had the lock, uh, Tron Mindslaver lock on, on, on said friend and um, asked him to concede. And he said, no, it's a team, world's team event. It's, you know, there's a lot on the line. I'm representing my country. I don't want to. And my friend is not confrontational at all. You know, he's... he's you know, if I'm an abrasive, loud clown, you know, he's the opposite. He's, you know, quite gentle, very nice guy. And he was so put off by this guy's aggressive nature and like demanding of, um, you know, him to concede that even at the pro sort of level, at the world's level, that was a big contributor to my friend leaving the game of magic. So, you know, at that, the highest level, people say, this is not for me. So at an FNM level or a little arena thing, we need to be conscious of how we act and try and be as welcoming to people. So I guess that's, you know, in a broader sense, these are one of the key things that stuck with me. And, and it sucks because, I, you know, I don't get to hang out with one of my best friends playing magic anymore, the thing that, that united us in the first place. So, you know, uh, just something to keep in mind. And I think we're going to wrap this up. Um, but I, the message I wanted to really pass on to people is that there are things that are, you know, lines that can be blurry. And there also is a mindset that one may have if you've been playing magic for a long period of time and you view things differently and you've come up through those harsh systems where it was almost like, ah, gotcha, you know, yeah, that's what you were trying to do. Certain people have may have that 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 sort of mindset still and, and, and it's, you know, maybe it's to help them try and get away from it to understand why they have that is because, you know, that's what magic was and that is the framework which you operated um, under and yeah things are a little bit different for the better um on that note i want to thank you guys for a wonderful discussion i think it was a pretty cool topic and think that's something quite different quite out of the box uh thanks to all of you that brought these wonderful examples and i mean particularly anthony's own total example is just 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 wonderful um so thanks again guys and uh, look forward to the next one we're out